Thank you for joining the McKnight Crossings Church. The message you are listening to today from Senior Minister Jeff Kreider is titled, No Condemnation, from February 21st, 2021. It is the first message in the new sermon series, If God is for Us, taken from Romans chapter 8. Well, good morning. You might wonder why I'm carrying these suitcases and backpacks and carry-ons and Oh, if there's a purpose for carrying all this, then, uh, then that's fine. If I was going to the airport or doing something like that, it's understandable. But if not, why would I carry it? It's too heavy and too clumsy. And of course, I'm not talking actually about this baggage. I'm talking about sin and guilt and the overhang of death. I too often find myself uh, carrying some assortment of all these bags. And uh, I'm, I'm confident it's not the way God created us to be. Do I need to be weighed down by these? The answer is clearly no. I believe God has helped us to uh, understand something about the burden of guilt and sin, and I'll throw shame in there as well, that we're carrying. And he, he, he's got a message for us this morning in the new life that he's given us in Christ. Now, a poll was taken, and it asked the question, if you were on a desert island with one chapter of Scripture, which one would you take? And uh, Romans 8 came out on the very top. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Romans 8 chapter 8, and uh, it's been described as the highest mountain peak on the vast range of mountains of Scripture. Romans 8, 1 begins, it begins with this message, there is no condemnation. And Romans 8 ends with, there is no separation. And in between, we could say, there is no defeat. So we'll be looking at that over the next few weeks. Of course, before uh, chapter 8, our chapters 1 through 7, and they're critical for us to uh, get our bearings on this great, great book before we can fully appreciate chapter 8. And uh, really, there's so much, I don't even know how I can... Uh, begin to break it down or even encapsulate it or even give, uh, 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 give it in a nutshell this morning. But let me just say a couple of things. Paul's arguments, they're, 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 they're logical, they're descriptive, they're deep, they're profound. And frankly, the more I dig into Romans, it's one of the reasons that at times I've been hesitant to preach it because it is frankly difficult Luther, on the other hand, once said, if you get Romans, God's got you. And uh, I don't know that I can adequately summarize, but just a couple of things that I want us to see before we launch into Romans chapter 8. That we serve a holy and righteous and just God. And He is faithful to His promises to his covenant, to Israel. And this is all the backdrop that's in Paul's mind as he uh, 
begins to write the book of Romans. From the book of Genesis on, God is faithful, and yet the book of Romans would tell us that we're bankrupt in our sin, that we're not measuring up to God's goodness or His moral standards. And you remember the famous verse in Romans chapter 3 that uh, we have fallen short, all of us, fallen short of the glory of God, and we deserve God's judgment. We deserve His wrath. Uh, Because of our sin, not because God is mean or is a bully, but only because, because He is good, and in His goodness He cannot tolerate that which is not good. His goodness stands against anything and everything that destroys or eats away at his creation, or anything that's destroying or eating away at your heart. Now, we've been given a perfect Savior, the book of Romans says. In uh, chapter 4, the faithful Israelite, Jesus, the Messiah, Christ, who is the Lord, and he lived and he died and he was buried and he was resurrected, and the Bible says... He is both just and justifier. And so then we've been invited by faith into this story to die and be raised again with Christ. And we do that in our baptism to find our life in Christ. And that's a very important phrase to Paul. Finding your life in Christ Jesus. Well, by the time we get to uh, Romans chapter 7... And what precedes this monumental section in Romans 8 is, are a couple of verses that I want to read, and just a, a, a snippet, beginning with verse 21 of chapter 7. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Can anybody identify? For in my inner being, Paul says, I delight in God's law, but I see another law, at work in me. There's a conflict. There's a war. There's a battle that's raging. Waging war against the law of my mind. And that's going to be a critical phrase, Paul's mind, as he, as he uh, unwraps that idea. And we'll particularly look at that next week. The importance of Paul's mind. And makes me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I. Now, this valley of despair, this valley of burden, carrying all this baggage that Paul seems to be carrying, the struggle is massive. And it's not just Paul's story. It is Israel's story before Christ came. And is it Paul's personal struggle before he became a Christian? Is it Paul after he was a believer or even as a mature believer? The interpreters have looked at it every which way through the years, and it's hard to know exactly. If it was before his conversion, and he's talking about how wretched he is, but, it, but, but, but the passage ends with such defeat that some would say, no, that can't be in the life of the believer. But in either case, I want to say this. How often we feel helpless, we feel defeated, 
We feel bad. We are still lugging so much baggage around. And so in verse 24 and 25 of chapter 7, the scripture says, Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, who will take this luggage that I cannot carry and do not want to carry and was not created to carry? And the shift from chapter 7 to chapter 8 could not be more dramatic. And so we'll focus on Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. But all of chapter 8, in fact, is an explosion of ideas that help us understand chapter 8 and verse 1. Here is that verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray for a moment. Lord God, as we allow this truth that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus to sink into our hearts, I pray that through your Holy Spirit you will will bring that home for each one of us so that we'll understand both the baggage we're carrying, what needs to be carried, and what we can let go of. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now let me be clear about one thing. On your own, the book of Romans paints a very clear picture that we are helpless to stop our deserved condemnation. Now that's a hard one to get a hold of for many of us. But if we understand the glory of God and we see the glory of God relative to who we are, we see that we deserve condemnation, and there's nothing in the way that we might carry out our life that we could do but deserve anything but condemnation at the end of the day. But our story doesn't stop there. So even when you feel like Romans 7, Romans 8 is the truth of the gospel. In fact, we could say, if you wanted to ask me, and there are many different ways that Paul does this in the book of Romans, so this is just one, but if you asked me, could you tell me what the gospel is? I would say, here is the truth of the gospel. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the passage says no, and I want to repeat that again, no No, no, to the degree that the burden you are bearing is related to God's condemnation, it has been emphatically removed in Christ. You say, well, how can this be? Why is this? Well, the text goes on to tell us. Uh, because, Because we say, well, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm doing. How can you be so sure about about my life? And uh, maybe I do deserve it. Well, you might have deserved it, but the Bible says, because of the work of Christ, there is no condemnation. Look at verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, 
The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You, child of God, as one who is in Christ, has been set free. Sin and death are a terrible, terrible burden. They are luggage you cannot manage. They have been taken away and you have been set free. If you think about being in a court of law, and Paul uses the imagery of the court of law several times in this book, you have been fully cleared, fully acquitted, and that is a great feeling. So, tell me more. Well, verse 3 says it this way. For, so he goes on to explain. Verse 1 was the key idea. 2 begins to unwrap it, verse 2. And now verse 3 is another unwrapping. For what the law was powerless to do. All of the commandments of God were powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. It's not a good combination. That is, our life apart from God, the flesh in combination with all of God's standards, is what Paul is trying to say. But God did what the law could not do, what the Israelites were were not able to accomplish, what Paul as a Pharisee could not have. He was able to have, here's what the text said, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. This is careful careful language that Paul is penning here. That God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Now the Enduring Word commentary says that this is perfect wording by Paul. And I want you to hear this. Here's why. We could not say that Jesus came in sinful flesh because... He was sinless, unlike the rest of us. We could not say that Jesus came in the likeness of flesh because He really was human. Just like us, a human being. But we can say, and this is what Paul said, that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Because although he was human, he was not sinful in himself. You see, the law is God's standard. The law of Moses, the, the God's commandments. And, and we might think of God's law as a ten-foot pole. And if I measured you today, I think this would be a fair standard for anybody in the audience, and anyone listening today, if I measured you against a 10-foot pole, that pole is going to come out on top. None of us are going to measure up. You would come up short. And there's nothing you can do or I can do relative to a 10-foot pole. We're all going to miss. None of us can keep the law and its requirements, Paul's saying. None of us are good enough None of us can perform well enough. 
we all fall short of the glory of God, saved only by God's grace through the gift of His Son. And our right standing is not because of God's efforts, because of our efforts, but God's efforts. In fact, I want to suggest this morning that your right relationship with God is 100% because of God. Sometimes, in fact, in our tradition, we haven't actually taught it this way. We've kind of seen ourselves as co-partners with God to find salvation. Well, yes, we have to make a response to God, but it is 100% His work in Christ. And I know that type of grace extended to us. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to live out of this truth. But no condemnation. And I believe the text is saying that your future judgment, the judgment that's going to come on the last day to every human being, standing before a good and a holy God, is fully and completely obliterated for those who are in Christ. Why? Because we have been good? No. Because we're getting better? No. Because we are making a promise to do better? No, not even that. It's a good idea. Because we are obeying some of God's commands? No. That all is to miss the point. There is no condemnation because of the gospel. Verse 3b, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. He has become our substitute, the sin offering. Let me see if I can give an illustration. Glenn uh, Duig was a stand-in actor for Tom Cruise. And he was on the set of Mission Impossible 2. And he explains that it sounds like a very glamorous kind of gig, saying you're a stand-in for uh, Tom Cruise. But I don't, he said, I don't think many people realize the long hours and the constant demands that deflate your ego very quickly. And the days are long, and whatever scene Tom was in, I would be the one standing there. Being him, sometimes for ages, as the crew set up the shot, getting the lighting just right, and the props just so, and I'd be standing there for hours out in the weather, getting drenched in the rain or sun stroked out in the heat, and then Tom would just walk on the set from his air-conditioned caravan or out of his beautiful sports car once the scene was ready. Church, Jesus is your stand-in. He has done the unglamorous work bearing the brunt of your sins so you can receive complete forgiveness. So verse 3, And so he condemned sin in the flesh 
You see, rather than us being condemned, God condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus. It doesn't say, interestingly, that God condemned Jesus. And God does not condemn us but he condemns the sin that is in Jesus. The wrath of God, all of it, is directed not against us or even against the perfect Son of God, but against sin. And this Jesus, Jesus the Christ, carries our burden. All of God's anger toward our selfishness has found a perfect stand-in in Christ. He's canceled his own judgment against us through Christ. And in fact, our conversion, what that means is to respond to God through what he has done for us, is simply to accept this grace, to grab the life raft, to give ourselves to God's saving action that culminates in our repentance, turning away from our old self, and our baptism, where we find ourselves going in the water and coming out in Christ Jesus. Now, as I uh, put a little bit more application to this, hear this, church. There is no condemnation does not mean there is no temptation. Yes, there is often troubling and seductive temptation. And I'll bet many of us listening today are struggling with temptation. Temptation in our pride. Temptation in our self-sufficiency. Temptation in our envy and our resentment and our judgmentalism in our misaligned priorities. There are all kinds of temptations, but your temptations are not a cause for condemnation. There is no condemnation. Does not mean that there is no failure in Christ Jesus. There is colossal failure, even after we've become believers, and after we've been baptized, and after we find ourselves in Christ with God's Spirit living in us. We give in to the flesh... We live by the flesh. We'll talk more about this next week. The sinful nature, that is, trying to live life without God. And our hearts condemn us. But your failure is not a cause for condemnation. There is no condemnation does not mean that there is no struggle for those in Christ. In fact, he describes that struggle later in this passage in this chapter and the struggle sometimes is profoundly intense your intense problems are not a cause for condemnation and how about this there is no condemnation doesn't mean that there are no feelings of condemnation I don't know about you, but this has plagued me most of my life that I often have feelings of condemnation in spite of intellectually knowing my position in Christ. 
I know of God's love for me and God's complete forgiveness, and yet I'll so often feel the pressing weight of condemnation. And when you feel the weight of condemnation, the accuser, the evil one, is lying to you. Your feelings of condemnation betray what is objectively true. What is it, church? That you stand perfectly justified right before God because of what Christ has done. Not because of your goodness, one more time, but His. And finally, I would say this. There is no condemnation doesn't mean that you have less condemnation. I think we often try that trick. No doesn't mean less. No means no. Now, my greatest need and yours is to come out from under the condemnation. First of all, the condemnation of our Creator. To fully and wholly receive what God has offered us in Jesus Christ. And so that's the invitation this morning, whether that is the first time that you come to Him, or whether it's your millionth time. There is no condemnation when you have accepted Christ. You are not at risk of being rejected by God. You're secure. So God says, dump your baggage. I want you to notice in the popular song, Christ Alone, in the lyrics of that song this morning, as we, uh, we're going to sing it in a moment, but uh, prior to that, I want you to see in uh, the lyrics here, the nose. And with that, accept the work of Christ to lift every ounce of your baggage. It says, no guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here, in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Have a great week.